This is an ABC podcast. When you're at uni, the last thing you're thinking about is your student loan. Even when you're finished, it's just sitting there. People always say, don't worry, it's the best debt to have. You'll pay it off eventually. But indexation means student debts are often growing and it's having an impact. Hey, it's Dave Marchese with you for Hack. In a bit, we're going to dive into this because inflation piled almost $2 billion of extra debt onto students this year. Also, the huge milestone that Earth hit today, there's now $8 billion of us. So just how big could we get? First, though. You're listening to Hack. COVID is not a thing of the past just yet on Triple J. Just when you thought we were moving further and further away from the pandemic... COVID's making a big comeback. Cases in Australia actually increased by almost 50% over the past week. And they're the ones we know about. Not everyone's had the same COVID experience. Some of you might have had it twice, three, even four times. Or maybe you've not had it at all. So what's going on here? Kimberly Price has more. It's quite a terrifying prospect. COVID cases are on the rise again. That's right, there's another wave. Last week, the Queensland Premier, Anastasia Palaget, recommended people wear masks again after a rise in cases and hospitalisations across the state. It means that it is recommended, and I say recommended, that we should wear a mask in healthcare settings, on public transport and ride shares, indoors where you cannot socially distance, and if you're around people who are vulnerable to COVID. But for those under 30, the National Immunisation Advisory Group to the federal government, ATAGI, has not given the go-ahead for a second booster jab. Federal Health Minister Mark Butler announced today that those who are severely immunocompromised or live with disability can access a fourth jab from December 12. But there's no question that um, we've now seen two weeks in a row where on every indicator case numbers are climbing. Uh, Hospitalisations have climbed as well by about 11%. Booster shots are a really great way to prevent severe disease. Um, And in Australia, we have the Omicron-specific vaccine at the moment, which is great. Um, I think that we should also definitely be still using the toolkit from the start of the pandemic before we had vaccines, so, um, which includes wearing a fitted mask and avoiding crowded spaces and um, promoting hygiene. That's Dr Ash Porter from Melbourne University. They have been keeping an eye on the new Omicron variants, XBB and BQ1, which have seen cases surge by as much as 60% in Victoria. How I usually describe subvariants is um, because Omicron has been circulating for so long, it's gone through its its own evolution and so different kinds of Omicron have evolved, but they have additional mutations that make them distinct. So uh, XBB has 14 extra mutations in the spike gene and they may or may not be contributing to um, the increased ability of XBB to spread. Um, there's no evidence so far that it causes a more severe disease. Max is from Ainsley in Canberra and has had COVID three times. The 22-year-old said he'd do anything for another booster shot to avoid getting COVID for a fourth time. So the second one was definitely worse than the first, but this last one meant that I couldn't work the three months. 
Max now has long COVID, which the World Health Organization estimates that of those who have had COVID, 5 to 30% will develop long COVID. So physically, it's still quite difficult doing a lot of things than I was doing before. It's um, just a lot more likely to be quite fatigued, tired, and um, I think mentally it's still hard to come back from where I was before. Uh, that had some heart issues, which popped up because of the COVID. It's looking like the heart is a bit better. Like they couldn't really identify too much of an issue there, but it's something they're going to have to look at kind of, they think at least for the next couple of years and possible issues with lung capacity if they're even longer. But on the other hand, Novids are still around. And no, those aren't people living under a rock. I've been to parties, I've been to house parties, been to nightclubs, been to festivals. Um, I've travelled internationally. Um, my girlfriend got COVID when I was with her, but I seen, I tested negative the whole time. Tate is 27 years old and lives in Fitzroy North. He's been sick this year, just not with COVID, despite definitely not being a homebody. Well, not to make myself seem like a party legend, but I was out for about four or five hours in small, small nightclub-y rooms. I got very sick from that. I had a virus for like two weeks, uh, but it just wasn't COVID. Do you feel a bit indestructible that you haven't had COVID yet? I do, to be honest. I do feel like I can, I can uh, brag about it. Tate admits he may have had COVID somewhere along the way and just not tested positive or had symptoms. Even so, he says he'll line up for a second booster shot and not rely on his luck. Um, it is still a serious uh, virus. Um, you know, it is important to take it seriously and if there's protection provided to me, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take it, but I also am going to you know, still, still live my life um, and, and go out and do all those things. Hack on Triple J. Kimberly Price with that story. Nice work, Kim, our newest addition to the Hack team. And I'm heaps keen to hear from you if you're one of those people that's had COVID a lot or the opposite, you haven't had it at all. How does it feel? 0439757555. I want to get an expert opinion. Professor Nigel McMillan is an infectious diseases expert at Griffith University and he's with us now. Nigel, thanks for joining us on Hack. No problem, Dave. How bad is the COVID situation getting across the country? Like we're seeing a lot more cases, but are we also seeing more hospitalisations as well? Indeed. We know cases really run about uh, two weeks ahead of hospitalisations. And, and quite frankly, we're not really tracking cases very well right now because, of course, a lot of people aren't doing rats or reporting them. So while we had about 60,000 cases last week in Australia, uh, which is about sort of seven times less than our peak in July where we were having sort of 60,000 every day, uh, that's probably an underestimate. So hospitalisations are our only real way to measure what's really going on right now. And that is going up right over the country. Why are we seeing this big, uh, you know, increasing cases now? Like a lot of people think, oh, it's usually the cooler months where we see COVID take off. Why are we seeing it just before summer? Yeah, and it's, you know, respiratory viruses tend to peak in winter, but these rules are being broken by this virus all the time. We will see more cases in winter in the Northern Hemisphere, for sure. They're going to have a peak, a larger peak than us. And with summer, we would see less transmission because of the sunlight. But it's just international travel. We're a really connected world. You know, every international airport has several flights a day in from Asia and, and America and Europe, and that's where the cases are coming from. As we've heard, there's a new vaccine that's been made available, a big announcement from the government today on this, a Pfizer one. What's different about this vaccine? 
Yeah, so we now have a couple of these what we call bivalent vaccines. So they contain a vaccine against the original strain, uh, which is what all our previous vaccines have had. But now they've added in Omicron and one of the particular variants of Omicron called BA1. And so this now gives an extra boost to people with the current Omicron sub-variants that are actually rotating around the world. This is going to give you much better coverage than if you just had a booster that only contained the ancestral strain. So it still doesn't really prevent infection. The viruses, uh, especially these new variants, actually spread you know, quite well, even in the face of vaccination. But it will keep you at least reduce your serious harm and hospitalisation and, of course, death. Yeah, there was a bit of confusion earlier. Like, even here in the Hack team, we thought the government was announcing that anyone over 18 would be eligible for a fourth dose of a vaccine or a second booster. But that's not the case. A fourth dose is only approved for Australians under 30 with disability or who are immunocompromised. Do you think, Nigel, we could see that change in the months ahead and all young Australians might have access to a fourth dose? Yeah, I think I think they probably will change. Actually, anyone over 50 can get a fourth, do- a second booster as well or a fourth dose for most people. Um, so that's anyone over 50 and then obviously those younger who have disabilities uh, who are severely immunocompromised. I mean, talk to your GP about your particular situation and get an opinion. But uh, I think eventually we're going to see this. What we really want, of course, is a we'd like a booster that lasts longer than six months. But really like a universal vaccine, of course, that doesn't even care what variant it is and lasts a lifetime. But uh, that is uh, the subject of much, much research right now. We've got some messages coming through. Someone says, I'm the Chuck Norris of COVID fighting, exposed on so many occasions and nothing. Another person says, it feels great being COVID proof, being all around it and never got it. Then we've got someone else. I work in healthcare and I've had COVID three times and had to isolate as a close contact twice as well. Different variants, I think, between times as I had different symptoms. We're hearing so many different experiences, Nigel. You know, people saying they still haven't had COVID at all. Others have had it up to four times, maybe even more. Is there any more information or data on why there's such a discrepancy here? Well, this is the joy of our genes, isn't it? This is the people who, you know, we have individuals that will run 100 metres in 10 seconds. And then, you know, someone like me might manage 20 if they're lucky. We all have different abilities. And so there are people who are naturally resistant to some of these viral infections. For example, HIV, there were patients in Africa who were repeatedly exposed to HIV because of the nature of their sex work, uh, who never came down with the virus. And so that's just as well, because that allows us to survive these things and we don't all get wiped out. Um, But we do have surveys, for example, just recently released a couple of weeks ago that show, for example, 80% of under fives have had COVID this year in Australia. And so this is a virus and they may not have even noticed it. So these people who haven't had COVID may in fact have had COVID. If they did a blood test, they may find that out. Um, But the last thing I guess to say is the repeated infection with COVID is not without consequences. It's pretty clear that it's associated with worse acute, that's like immediate, and then long-term effects. Your chances of these long COVID goes up and also the sorts of effects on your cardiovascular system, diabetes, fatigue, et cetera, that you you heard previously from some of your, your interview there, that goes up and your risk increases each time you get COVID. And when, Nigel, is this fourth wave expected to peak? Is there any information on that yet? The only real clue we have is looking at what happened in Singapore where XBB, one of these sub-variants, came from. So their hospitalisation went up quite steeply and then a couple of weeks later came down quite remarkably sharply. So 
If we follow that pattern, we would expect this to peak sometime in the next couple of weeks and then come down again. Of course, we have a kind of a high level of immunity in in the population at the moment because of all the infections we've had this year. So that's what the chief health officer has been saying um, uh, today, and that's what might occur. So hopefully not long, and we certainly hope not to see the numbers that we saw in July. All right, Professor Nigel McMillan from Griffith University, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for joining us on Hack. Anytime. Anytime. Thanks, Dave. We've got so many more messages coming through. Someone says, five household exposures and haven't caught COVID. Also a healthcare worker, four times vaxxed. Am I invincible? Matt in Sydney, I don't think we'd say that, um, but we've got other people who have a similar experience to you. I've not had COVID yet, although my partner had it in the house. I even managed to get on and off a cruise ship without it. Someone else, I had COVID once, I never want it again, took months to feel normal again. It becomes really hard to even imagine being able to pay back this balloon of debt that's just slowly growing in an account. On Triple J. If you went to uni, you might have been told having a student loan is the best kind of debt you'll ever have. Because unlike a mortgage, student loans don't gather interest and payments only kick in when you start earning a certain amount of money. But they can get bigger through something called indexation, so with inflation. And some graduates are saying their debts are affecting them in a way much more than they expected. It's hurting their ability to do things like buy a house. Maybe this is you. Are you struggling to see an end to your student loan? How do you feel about it, especially with cost of living skyrocketing at the moment? You can call in 1300 055536. You can message in as well, 0439757555. First, the ABC's National Education reporter, Gabriella Marchant, has been looking into it. Going into university, I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I came out. I had quite good grades, so I was able to get into Melbourne University. I did an undergraduate of arts, and then people said, oh, you should try law school. So I got into the Juris Doctor, and then a few years later, here I am. Ben Haber's on a pretty good wicket. After studying in Melbourne, he's been working as a lawyer for a few years. But even with a well-paid full-time job, house prices are so high, he's been living with his parents to save enough to buy a house. I'm very lucky to be in a position where I'll always have a roof over my head, whether that's my own or my parents, but there's a lot of people for whom house prices are just so expensive and household debt is just so high that you can never escape uh, the rental trap and own your own home. After finally saving a deposit, Ben went to a mortgage broker to organise a loan. He says until that moment, he hadn't even thought about the debt he owed the government for his two degrees. Those types of loans used to be known as hex loans. There's the common wisdom that hex is the best loan you'll ever get and you just get it and then forget about it. So I didn't have to look at it until I applied for a home loan and needed to produce those numbers for the bank. To Ben's surprise, the broker told him his debt, which is $130,000, would affect how much he could borrow. Renamed help debt, the loans are how most students pay for university in Australia. They told me they were having a lot of trouble uh, getting me pre-approved through lenders because of my HEX repayments. And the fact that my HEX, which was supposed to be the best loan I could ever get and something that I wouldn't really notice until it was totally paid off, uh, it made me a bit upset to realise that that was holding me back from achieving such a big life goal. This year, debts like Ben's rose nearly 4% because government student loans are pegged to inflation. 
And as you've probably heard, inflation, the measure of how quickly prices for everyday goods are rising, has jumped 7.3% this year, the highest it's been since 1990. For people like Ben, as well as the issues borrowing money, it means he'll be paying off his loan for much longer. Now, but doing a degree or going on and doing further study can impact you very late into life. Because of the size of my hex debt, it'll be a long time before I repay that off. So this is something, a debt that I'll have to service for a long, long time. AMU's Professor Andrew Norton agrees that with the rising cost of living, student debt isn't as harmless as it once was. It affects all sorts of things, including how much you can borrow in a mortgage and your take-home pay. So like, there is reason for concern, but not panic. Professor Norton says it's a particular worry for students who might soon finish degrees like arts and law, whose fees were hiked up by the previous federal government in 2021. Particularly the humanities students who don't typically earn as much could take a very long time, like potentially decades, to repay their debt and being indexed every year along the way. People with humanities degrees often get jobs which don't really require a degree and therefore don't earn as much, and therefore often they'll take a long time to repay if they do at all. National Union of Students President Georgie Beattie wants things to change. It becomes really hard to even imagine being able to pay back this balloon of debt that's just slowly growing in an account. It was never meant to be something that students had to worry about. It's, they, it's meant to be a borrowing system. If the government wanted to hold tax debt to its true intention, they would freeze the indexation so it doesn't keep climbing and so students don't have to worry about ballooning debt while they're trying to get through their exams. The government hasn't committed to anything like that, but says degree affordability will be reviewed when it negotiates a new funding agreement with universities and student representatives. It would also just be good economic policy to start actually helping students so that they're able to just focus on doing uni, get through and then actually hopefully start getting well-paying jobs so they're able to pay off that hex debt. Hack on Triple J. Gabriella Marchant with that story. And we did ask Education Minister Jason Clare to come on. He wasn't available today. A lot of messages coming through on this one. Christian in Baxter says, I've just dropped out of a science degree because of the cost benefit of the degree just not stacking up anymore. Heading towards a society where only the wealthy and privileged are able to get a higher education. Another person, $90,000 debt. I have a good job. I make voluntary repayments. The debt went up 8000 last year, making all of my repayments redundant. Someone else, yeah, they don't tell you about indexation, do they? We've got someone on the line, Reese is with us. G'day, Reese. What's been your experience with this? Hey, so my boss asked me about my hex the other day to update like my tax details. So I, I didn't really have any idea at the time what it was. So I looked into it and it... Um, for a fair while after I finished uni, it didn't even move and then it's only been updating the past few years and um, I noticed the indexation's been getting bigger every time and um, what I was going to say, the even without indexation, uh, as it is at the moment based off the last few repayments, it has still taken another decade just yeah. as it is. Yeah, wow. It's it's and did it surprise you, Reese, when you kind of looked into it and you saw the numbers? Did you think you were further along ahead than you were? Yeah, it's been. I thought it would have been further. It's gone because it didn't um, move for so long. It just kept going up, yeah. and so I've 
I'm less than I started with. Yeah, it's crazy, right? And we're hearing the same thing, Reese, from so many other people. Thank you so much for calling in, Reese. We've got someone else saying, I did an undergrad in exercise science and a master's in physio. I have roughly $125,000 of uni debt. I wanted to buy a house next year. That's unlikely. Someone else says, all these politicians went to uni for free back in their heyday and we can't even get a freeze on indexation. Another person, yes, oh my God, finally got a decent pay rise earlier this year and thought I'd finally make a dent in this year's tax return. Nope, only just covered indexation, which was nearly 4% based on my high hex debt. And another person says, government hex going up with inflation while our wages stay stagnant. What's the point for a working class person unless they're guaranteed a good salary out the gate? A lot of messages coming through on this one. It's definitely something that's hitting with you and something that we will be getting into a lot more. Maxine from Wollongong, coming from a low socioeconomic area, we were told about hex being fee-free, but never educated on exactly what it was meant for us. It almost feels like our lack of education was preyed upon, parents wouldn't know better because they didn't go to university. We're going to keep on top of this one. Definitely hearing your stories loud and clear. Time to move on. Hack. It's worth kind of looking back at how quickly we've got here because it was only about 10 or 15 years ago that we were marking 7 billion. People are turning out babies, adding to the overpopulation. On Triple J. Yeah, the world reached a big milestone today. We've hit 8 billion people. But we're not going to continue on this massive upswing we've seen over the past couple of centuries. Experts say our population growth is starting to slow down. And we've now reached peak child. And what that means is there will never be more children alive on Earth than there are right now. How crazy is that? And how do they know that? I want to delve into this a bit more. With us is Simon Kusenmarker, a demographer. That's someone who studies populations. Simon, welcome to Hack. This must be a really exciting milestone for someone like you, the global population ticking over to 8 billion people. How significant is this? Well, it's a nice milestone, but it is nothing but a statistical, um, beautiful point to look at um, because overall population growth has been slowing, as you just mentioned. Um, We have seen skyrocketing numbers in the past, but about a decade ago, we reached peak child, meaning we will never see more babies than we did in 2013. And this year we are reaching a peak five-year-old. So you'll never ever see more five-year-olds than we are seeing today, simply because birth rates uh, across the globe are dropping. Um, We're still growing the planet for quite a bit because people live longer. But once the cohort of 2013 is dying, we know that humanity will start declining. Right. I mean, I want to get into that a bit more in a minute. Firstly, how do we calculate the number of people in the world? Is this 8 billion very accurate when they say we've reached 8 billion (coughs) today? Is that true or is it just a very Uh, big guess? It's almost certainly a reasonable overcount. So we're probably a couple of hundred thousand people short. Um, But so what you do, if you want to know the global population, there are a couple of major think tanks, major institutions, the UN population division being the biggest, who collate the statistical population data from all the countries on the planet. And they bunch them together into a single model. And then you roughly have an idea of how many people are on the planet. Um, So the ABS has done their bit and they said, ah, well, we right now are at about 26 million people and multiply this times 
many, many countries, some of them have more, some of them has less reliable um, forecasts. The probably most famously overquoted population figure is always the one from China. China is uh, polishing the numbers a bit. Um, their population number of 1.4 billion people is quite likely about um, 100 million people smaller. Right. That's so interesting. And I mean, you were talking before about the population growth slowing. Does that mean the world's population is going to be really old in a few decades' time? That's exactly what this means. It means that as soon as we start, uh, the world is aging. It's just that simple. Certain areas of the world are aging at a much faster pace. Japan, uh, Russia are always famous examples um, for this. The European nations are aging at a faster rate than Australia is because we have um, a little trick up our sleeve to keep our population reasonably young. That is migration. Um, we take migrants from all over the world based on their skills. So that's the only thing we really look for in migrations um, and say, well, if you have this certain set of skills, you're allowed to come to Australia. Plus, you need to be roughly between 18 and 39. We only take in younger people. So we have, uh, you know, we have them as taxpayers uh, for longer. That is rather smart. The most important thing that Australia has done to soften certain issues that aging brings with it is the superannuation scheme. Meaning everyone in Australia gets a bucket, their own little retirement bucket, and we put a gun to your head and we say, you got to put 10% of your income in it, whether you like it or not. And um, that makes sure that we save enough for retirement. That said, we have increasingly been adding low income jobs to the Australian workforce, gig economy jobs that are being paid by the hour, by the item, um, that are not paying enough money in the long run for you to be able to pay for your own retirement. So therefore, we still need the pension system in, um, in place to make sure that we subsidize the relatively low um, migration uh, um, superannuation buckets that the low income workers have. You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese speaking with demographer Simon Kustenmacher about the world's population ticking over to 8 billion today officially. Simon, are some countries shrinking? Oh, plenty of countries are shrinking. Um, the biggest uh, country that is shrinking already is China. So China will never, ever be bigger. And they probably the number that they are accounting for is probably heaps smaller already. So that is the country that's shrinking. Um, Russia is shrinking. Japan is shrinking. Now you have uh, a big player in, Germ uh, in Germany that was shrinking and now stabilized its population a bit. Um, but uh, South Korea is shrinking away. They have a tiny, tiny birth rate of 0 0.8 kids per woman, the lowest in the world. Um, so there are plenty of pockets on the world that are still shrinking or that are already shrinking. But if you look at Japan, for example, a shrinking country doesn't necessarily mean shrinking cities. Um, even though Japan is losing population at quite a significant rate, uh, Tokyo is growing um, because you just lose people from the small villages and then you kind of force the remaining elderly population uh, to move nearer to care facilities as well because there's just nobody left uh, in, in the smaller places to provide care. For years, there's been a big debate about population, about whether the world can sustain more people. Is that a big issue that demographers look at, Simon? Uh, it is, but we're essentially 
not worried about this. The carrying capacity, at least in theory, is just fine. We can easily look after the about 10 billion people that we will reach. That's peak humanity. Um, might be as soon as 2060, if you listen to the Wittgenstein Center for Population in Vienna, might be as late as the uh, 2080s, if you listen to, um, to the UN Population Division, but it's coming. And so 10 billion people or thereabouts will be the max. We can, at least in theory, look after these people. But that just means that globally speaking, we have enough land uh, that can produce enough food to look after all those people. That's fine. Certain issues occur when you see that a major country like China doesn't have enough energy or enough food to look after its own population. So therefore, China constantly needs to import food and energy from other places. So if something goes wrong, let's say China was to get um, globally isolated in some sort of global trade conflict, then you easily would have hundreds of millions of people starving over a few years. Interesting and, stuff. It Int would be catastrophic. Very, that's, uh, that's interesting to think about. And there's so much more that we could delve into. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Demographer Simon Kustamaka, thanks for joining us on Hack. Been a pleasure. And so many messages coming through. Cam in Sydney says, now that we've reached 8 billion people, SBS is going to have to come up with a new tagline to replace 7 billion stories. Hack on Triple J. Big thanks again to Simon Kustenmaka and to everyone who contributed to Hack today. That's all we've got time for on the podcast. I'll catch you next time.